0: I believe that we have come into a very unique time as a people. And I'm about to pray right now. Heavenly Father, you are the King and you are the Lord. You reign, there is none like you. You're beautiful for situations. You are the God of all flesh. There is nothing that we have that we did not receive from you. You called us into your presence because there is no other way than to be happy in the Lord, than to find joy in your presence. You have not changed You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. The key to the kingdom remains in the hands of those who have found comfort in your presence. All that you have been saying to us all day today is that each of us may be drawn to the very place where we can enjoy the benefits of your presence. Speak to us, Lord. Speak your word. Let your power be made manifest in armies this morning. We honor you and we glorify you. For in Jesus' precious name, we have prayed. Amen. I'm going to share with us this morning on what I call retreat, re-energize. Or in another way, the power of solitude. It is possible to be in the midst of a lot of people and still be lonely. But when you come to the place of solitude with God, you are surrounded by the most incredible crowd you could ever wish for, though invincible. The story of Moses, the story of Jacob that we just read, In each of the stories that we read, this man stood before God, found a place of solitude, separated themselves, and you know what happened? They began to see God move on their behalf. I'm going to take this one by one to look at each of these stories. For Jacob, He was at a critical point in his life. He was embarking on a journey. He had no idea what the outcome was going to be. Remember, he was going back to the same country where he ran from. He had become a fugitive on account of his own weakness. Now, there was trepidation without doubt in the heart of Jacob. When I see my brother Esau, what is he going to do? When I see him, would that be the end of the story? What is it that awaits me when I go back to the land of my fathers? He remembered the promise of God that when he go back to Bethel, that God promised him that it will bring him back to the same land. However, in the midst of all these, there was still trepidation. And that makes me to believe this morning. You see, when you come into the war room when you come into the solitude, when you come into a lone place with God, you are surrounded by the invisible forces of heaven that you don't even see. But it is effective. They are powerful forces of heaven. When you are alone with God, every other thing around you, I believe, will lose its appeal. When you are alone with God, your challenges will no longer intimidate you (laughs) <laughs> as it used to, because you are in the presence of God. When you are alone with God, you grow in confidence, even in the face of adversity, because adversities come every moment in life. But when you are in the presence of God, you are enveloped completely by his glory. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 18, it says, all of us with an unveiled face, continue to behold in the word of God as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are constantly being transformed into his own image in ever increasing splendor from the degree, one degree of glory to another, from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, when we're alone with God also, we access the unusual strength of the Lord. There are people who run out of energy from time to time. And when you run out of energy and it appears you have nothing left in you, the only place where strength is available is in his presence. The Bible says in Psalm 84 verse 7, they go, who are they? Us. They go. The word has no access to the Lord. We do. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God. Is Zion, this is an amazing truth. And this leads me to not only Jacob and Moses, but also to another character in the scriptures. We remember 2 Samuel chapter 7, when Nathan the prophet came to David and began to explain to David the plan that God has because of David's intent. You see, intent matters. Motives matter. When you intend to do something for the Lord, it will amaze you how God begins to arrange and align things in the spirit because your your heart is in the right place. You see, when a man is lethargic, they deny themselves of the opportunity to see God move without them even knowing. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, as David intended to build a house for the Lord, God sent his servant to him, Nathan to let David know that which you intend to do is right. And it's, it's in accordance to my will. But as, and the blessings of God, Nathan began to speak about the blessings of God that will come upon David as he built the Lord a house. Now, as soon as Nathan was done, here is what the Bible says about David. The Bible says, then went in King David, verse 18, and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that thou hast brought me ether to? Now, all of these came as a result of the fact that David had engaged himself. The Bible says he sat before the Lord. You see, to communicate to the Lord becomes essential, but it is easier when you are in the presence of the Lord to be able to reflect on your life to so be able to see where you are, where you're coming from, and it helps us to be able to project into the future. If you're not in the presence of the Lord, how do you do that? The Bible says here, and when David said, "And what can David say? What can David say more unto thee, for Thou, Lord God, Thou knowest Thy servant." This is David speaking to the Lord, and when he sat before the Lord, he was able to reflect on his life. The moments of prayer, the moments of adversity, when it appears it was all over. Remember, David lost control over his emotion. He said to God, finally Saul was going to kill me. But David remembered those moments when there was a divine intervention in his life. But all of, this, all of these things came into perspective when David got into a place of solitude with God. I believe promises are made real in the place of solitude. The power of God is released in the place of solitude. Let me just go over some of these issues one by one. I'm going to narrow down to one scripture today, and I'm going to lead us forth from this important, intriguing experience, and this will bring us into the highlights of what happens. When we come into a place of solitude and being alone with God, when you retreat yourself, you will find grace, strength, glory, energy in his presence. Shall we turn together with me this morning to the book of Isaiah chapter 6? Please read with me, brethren. Isaiah chapter 6. I'll take my reading from the very first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the skirts of his train filled the house, filled the temple. Two, above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two wings. Covered his face, and with two covered his feet, and with two flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone and ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims to me, having a life call in his hand which he had taken with tongues from off the altar, seven. And, he, and with it, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your leaves. Your iniquity and guilt are taken away, and your sin is completely atoned for and forgiven. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? And who will we go for us? Then said, hi, here am I, send me, hallelujah. Before I touch on these scriptures, the future of every believer, the future of your spiritual strength is not in a big congregation. What determines your stability in the days to come is how you can find joy in coming into a place of solitude with God. Our generation is not promoting the concept of solitude as it used to be promoted. I want us to understand today that the key to the spiritual glow in our lives remains when we find opportunities and time and create opportunity for ourselves in the presence of the Lord. What we have learned from Isaiah is this. Few highlights this morning. Number one, when Isaiah came before the Lord, one of the things he saw was the splendor of his throne. You see, the earth is too flimsy. And what when you see the throne of God. The beauty of his majesty is in full display when we come aside and alone with God. I find it difficult to explain what these moments mean to people. Personally, I've experienced some glow in my life that I cannot even explain. Many years ago, I used to go before the Lord and I will spend time 4 a.m. in the morning and I will separate myself. It was consistently every morning at 4 a.m. And I'll come before the Lord. And I and and I I never miss that moment. It was exactly 4 o'clock, and I didn't have an alarm. My body clock was already adjusted. I get up and I'm before the Lord and I'm singing and I'm and I'm worshiping and I'm spending time and and I couldn't break away from that moment. It was such an awesome living experience. And one day in one of those moments, I think I've shared this with us before, for some reason, I'm I'm sure maybe I studied late at night. I woke up a few minutes late. I don't remember how many minutes late. So I went back to the same location where I normally would spend time with the Lord, as I got there, I was overwhelmed with conviction. The Lord said to me clearly, I heard him. He said, I've been waiting for you. I just broke down in tears. I just started crying. It was not a cry of offense or guilt. It was a cry of humility and submission. I just couldn't believe that the God of the whole earth will be waiting for a tiny young man somewhere. What is he waiting for me for? I just couldn't get over it. I wept and wept for days. I just couldn't, nobody, I couldn't explain to anyone. That's why I said, this moment is not a moment you can explain. It is a moment that is, you are in a hall of his presence. The throne, I want us to see from this man's experience, the throne of God is holy and tremendously glorious that each time you come, you will be left spare bound when you leave his presence. Something happens to you when you come into his presence. The second thing I found is that when you are alone with God, I want us to hear this, you will comprehend the worth of worship. I'm going to repeat myself. When you come into his presence, you will comprehend to a degree the worth of worship. Believers, you cannot worship effectively If you are oblivious from the worth of worship, you see, all worships are not the same. Please, I want us to hear this this morning. All worships are not the same. There is a Cain kind of worship and there is an Abel kind of worship. You see, Abel's act of worship was received and accepted by the Lord. Cain, his brother, not so. So there are kinds of worship. And when we come to the place of worship, it is essential and critical to know that there is worth in my time of worship with God. That's why Jesus said to those men, if you will not praise me, Father will raise of stone because the Father knows the worth of worship. It is critical that worship is not just me rising up and singing. No, I am coming before the God of heaven and earth to let him know how great he is. My heart is sold out to him. There is a sense of of worship. Let me just show us from the experience of Isaiah. Isaiah saw the throne of God and was amazed. But beyond that, Isaiah also saw angels in ranks. In their pattern of worship. That's what he saw. Let's examine what he saw because it's important that as you go into worship, as I go into worship, you're not just there by yourself. You're there, but there is a heavenly host around you. There are hosts of heaven where you come into the place of worship. The Bible says the first thing he saw was seraphim. I'm going to tell us two things about the seraphim. Seraphim scripturally in the Old Testament means The fiery one, the one that is full of fire. That's what it means. Those are angelic forces that carry fire. The Bible says, he saw seraphims. You see, in worship, you're not just singing to the Lord. You're not just lifting your hand. You are releasing fire when you come into a place of worship. Worship invokes and emits fire. Many years ago, there was a story in a particular village as believers came together and they began to worship together. This is a life story. They began to worship together. It was a time of the great movement around the world. In this local place, it was such a local village place. And as they were worshiping, it was a small church. It was a small location. The, the, The story had it. That the people in the neighborhood, the people in the village, in the neighboring villages, they saw an inferno, real inferno. They saw fire burning. And so most of them got out of their houses. As you know, in the community, people live together. They take care of each other. They carry their buckets of water. They wanted to go put out the fire. When they they were running towards where the fire was, they found that it was in a local house of worship. And they saw the fire at the top of the of the house. And many of them were rushing to go in there. But this is what they noticed. As they moved close to the place, the inferno was still going on, but they noticed nothing was burning. And they couldn't believe it. They were struck by the horror of what they saw. They experienced something similar to what Moses saw. They couldn't believe it. The inferno was there. The fire was still there. The people were in extreme worship of Jehovah in their local language, in their local dialect. They were singing to the Lord and there was fire all over the place. What am I saying this morning? When you come into a place of worship, what you have done is to invoke the forces of the seraphims to come alongside with you. And seraphims means fire. The second word that is used in Hebrew for seraphim is the word seraph, which means to burn. The implication of this is that the angels that qualify to come before the Lord are to born in love with God. Do you know, for you to understand the worth of worship, you have to be in love with God. It is the full expression of your love. You're not worshiping because somebody told you to do so. You're not worshiping because you want to fulfill the addendum uh, before I ask the Lord I have to worship for so that I can be accepted. No, you're born and in love for God. And that is the key here. To understand the power of worship, the worth of worship, the value of worship. Now, there was a word that is used in Greek for this experience. It is called the trihegium. Now, trihegium means <laughs> when the angels of God came before the Lord, they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Did you notice the word holy was mentioned three times, which is interpreted theologically as trangium. And trangium means completeness and stability. It also means these things represent the nature of God. Remember, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight. These three words that were mentioned also explains the divine perfection of the Holy Trinity, the God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and also the Son. It also explains the complete and supreme holiness of God unmatched by anything that you can ever see. Finally, this morning, in this worship of these angels, I noticed that the Bible says and the foundation of the threshold shook at their cry and their house was filled with smoke of his glory. Now, it all makes sense to me this morning, brethren. Remembering what happened to Moses on his way after being alone with God. The Bible says his face shone. There is something about coming into the presence of God. Something has to happen to you. You don't leave his presence the same. When his presence is in a place, something has to give way. The foundations that need to be shaken, I decree this morning will have to be shaken in our lives. There are foundations that are not in alignment with God. There are foundations that need to be destroyed. There are foundations that have no bearing in God. But when you come into the place of alone with God, foundations have to be shaken. The Bible said the foundation of the threshold was shaken. And I believe, God, that when we come before the Lord with an open heart, something begins in our lives, and it is real, and it is marvelous. And I said to myself, I don't want any blessing in my life that God has not ordained. Because when God ordains a blessing in your life, it will overrule every situation in your life. Glory to God. The third thing that I found out is that in the alone place from the book of Isaiah, there is a true x ray of your humanity. Hallelujah. You see, as humans, we're imperfect. We lack a lot of stuff. Isaiah chapter 6 from verse 1 to 5, you could see, as Isaiah approached the presence of God, his humanity was exposed. His frailty was exposed. Today, this morning, believers, there is nothing wrong about that. I used to think, why? But you see, there's nothing bad about it. Because people think the exposure is bad. But it's, that's not true. Actually, the exposure is an indication that God is looking in your direction. Because that exposure is going to bring you to the place of humility and submission. This is what Isaiah said after being in the presence of God. He said, why is me. For I am undone because I'm a man of unclean leaves and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean leaves. For my eyes have seen the king. What did he see? He saw the king, the Lord of hosts. That is humility. That is telling God, Lord, I'm nothing without you. And I thank God for that song. I'm nothing without you. I'm nothing without you. He saw the emptiness in himself. He saw the frailty of man in him. The Bible crystallizes by saying, then flew one of the seraphims, having a life coal in his hand, and touched Isaiah. And when the angel touched Isaiah, he said, your iniquity and your guilt are taken away. Believers, let me spend some time here. You see, each time we live in guilt and condemnation, you are not in the presence of God. Because in the presence of the Lord, it takes away the guilt. it takes away the condemnation. He fills you with the conviction of his glory. That's what he does. And that's what happened to Isaiah. Because not only that the life of Isaiah was on x before God, God also helped him to see the ashtray of a broken life. This man was totally so to God afterwards. When you're alone with God, number four, you experience the sense of purpose. You see, in life, we think we know many things. But you see, until you come into his presence, then you find the true definition of your person. I believe life becomes meaningful. Your pursuit is defined when you come into his presence. This is what Isaiah said. He said, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said hi, "Here am I. Send me." Isaiah had been prophesying before this, but you see, there was a rede- the redefinition of purpose when Isaiah came before the Lord. And number five this morning: in the place of loneliness, when you're alone with God, the unknowns are made known. There are many unknowns in this world, and it is called mysteries. But here is what the scripture says: Proverbs chapter 25. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. And the, but the glory of king is to search out a matter. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Daniel chapter 2, the Bible says, It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness, and light dwelleth with him. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It is written, Things which eyes has not seen. And he have not heard. Which has not entered into the heart of man. all that God has prepared for those who love him. For God. For for to us God has revealed them. Through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yea the deep things of God. The word is driven and riddled with the unknown. I'm telling you right now. The reason people go. I don't know how many of us have ever asked this question. Why do you think people go after psychic? They do. It's because they're trying to find out something they don't know. And the psychic comes and said, you see, your grandfather is, still, is on the lintel of the house. He comes around and, and shakes the window and shakes the door and, and all of those shenanigans and all of that. And, and, and the psychic. And they say, yeah, I saw that. I saw that. And made, and made a reason and appeal to their, to, to their desire. But here comes the God of all flesh who is willing to reveal, who is willing to make known. The Bible says, secret things belong to God. But the things which are revealed belong to us and our children. Believers, we are not going to have answers to every nagging question in this world. But the time alone with God will bring you to the place of comfort. (laughs) Our time alone with God will enhance your spiritual senses to recognize and understand what God is doing, the mind of God for your life. And I decided to just quickly go over this, just briefly this morning. What do we know when we come into the presence of the Lord? Please, if you can write this on, I wouldn't mind. We know the time we're in. You see, timing is important for everything in life. When you are not conversant with timing, you, you, you're, you're befuddled, you're distracted, you're confused, you're wondering when will God ever do it? The same happened to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, he went straight to God and said, God, you already spoke to me. You spoke to me many years ago. Would see that I go childless. When is this promise going to come to pass? <laughs> the Bible said the Lord said to him, Come out, come to come see. And he says, Lift up your eyes. He says, What do you see? He said, I see stars. He says, As, as he, he said, so shall thy seed be.